This episode deals with subject matter that may be triggering for some listeners. Hello friends, you're listening to Bizarrely Carly. Thank you for coming to hang out with me again. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining me. Last episode, I discussed some anxiety I had experienced around opening myself up during this podcast. Um, Some anxiety, even though that's really what I feel I should do. So today, I'm just going to break down those cages and talk about what I really want to talk about. I want to share my story in the off chance that someone is able to benefit from it in some way. When I was a child, I was very sensitive and hyper. I was always getting into things and curious. When I started school, I struggled staying in my seat and getting my work done. My parents brought me to a doctor and a child psychiatrist. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 7 and I was prescribed medication. I struggled on and off the medication because of the terrible side effects I had experienced. I went off of it in grade 8 and almost failed, and then went back onto it in grade 9 and was on the honor roll. It was really a struggle for myself and for my parents to determine if the positives outweighed the negatives, and it was something that we went back and forth on quite a bit. We determined that the positives outweighed the negatives. When I was in high school, I suffered from delusions, self-injury, dissociation, an unhealthy relationship with food, and unhealthy relationships with people. I was prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication at 18. During my 20s, I suffered anxiety and depression, and soon I began to develop mood swings, most specifically anger, which was unlike anything I had experienced before. I was never known to be an angry person. I also began to recognize my mood swings between depression and mania, which have been present for my entire life. It wasn't until I was in my 20s and I had a mental breakdown that someone had recommended that I speak to my doctor about going to the mood disorder clinic at St. Joe's in Hamilton. I went and seen my doctor and he was reluctant to give me a referral as he did not believe that I had a mood disorder based on what he had seen in his appointments with me. I broke down in tears, and I explained to him that there was a lot more going on than he was aware of. I felt that rather than taking the time to understand what I was trying to explain to him, he made it seem as though I was overreacting, which then made me become hysterical. It was at that point he decided to give me a referral, believing that there was a possibility that I had bipolar disorder. And because of that belief, he had decided to put me on a new prescription to treat that, In the meantime, I was placed on lithium, which is a strong medication, and I went home and waited for my phone call from St. Joe's. It took me months to get my appointment at St. Joe's, where first I met with a nurse, and then a few months later I returned to meet with a psychiatrist. It was in that appointment that I was diagnosed. The doctors I had seen at St. Joe's couldn't believe that my family practitioner would prescribe me something as strong as lithium without a formal diagnosis. It was in that moment I really realized the issue with not having psychiatrists accepting new patients in the area and family practitioners diagnosing or treating mental illnesses. I feel like this often leaves people either misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed and not getting the help or treatment that they need. Once I finally had two appointments at the mood disorder clinic, I was finally diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, borderline personality disorder, and bipolar disorder. 
I was advised to change my medication to a different mood stabilizer, and I was advised I need to find DBT in my town. Once again, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. I was informed by the psychiatrist at St. Joe's that with the right therapy and medication, I could go into full recovery. That gave me hope. I remember after my appointment that day, going out to my car alone, and I broke down in tears. It was the strangest feeling. At that point, I had never heard of borderline personality disorder before. I cried because I was scared of what that meant, but I also cried because I was happy I finally had an answer. There was a reason for why I was doing what I was doing. It was scary and exciting all at the same time, and I couldn't wait to begin my treatment and finally begin to feel some sort of, quote, normal. My mood quickly became discouraged when I had my follow-up appointment with my family doctor. It was during that appointment where he advised me that DBT was not being offered in my area, but he did inform me we would be changing my medication once again to the medication advised by the psychiatrist at the mood disorder clinic. I was devastated because I had read up that DBT was the number one solution for BPD, that it was the one thing that would help me on my road to recovery. I wasn't going to take that for an answer. I left my doctor's appointment in tears, once again feeling completely hopeless, and I started making phone calls. One of those phone calls I made was to the hospital. I called the mental health department, and I asked if they knew any services that offered DBT. To my surprise, I was informed they have an outpatient program that is specific for people who suffer from mental illness. They create a personalized plan and offer group therapies, including DBT. It was in that moment that I realized I had once again been filled by my doctor and realized the issue with having family doctors treat mental illnesses. The receptionist at the hospital advised me I would once again need a referral from my family doctor in order to participate in the program. Once again, I made a phone call and once again, I had to fight for what I needed. Eventually, I was able to get the referral and after waiting months and months I had my first appointment with a nurse had to wait again for months and months and then I began my therapy I was super nervous to do group therapy at first but I quickly became really comfortable and felt not so alone thing that really frustrates me most about this entire process is from my initial mental breakdown to the point where I actually began to get the treatment I needed. It took almost a year. The worst part is, at the beginning of this mental breakdown, I was having suicidal thoughts and even considered putting myself into the hospital. The problem is, the hospital wouldn't admit you unless you were in immediate danger. Just thinking about suicide isn't enough for you to be committed. When you feel alone, scared, depressed, and you're suffering from mental illness issues, it can be very hard to find the energy to get out of bed every day never mind to fight for your life. I feel there needs to be easier access to mental health programs. They need to be easy to find. People shouldn't have to fight for what they need. Anyways, I was able to get some time off work to complete my DBT, but unfortunately, I was unable to complete my full program due to my work availability. In order to attend these group sessions, you need to be available. If you miss a class, you will be removed from the program. If you're somebody who works full-time, That could be difficult because the group sessions are at the same time and day every week. I found DBT extremely helpful when I was taking therapy, but once I was out of the program, I found the amount of information overwhelming. The thing about having a disorder like BPD is you have to completely reprogram the way your mind processes information and the way you respond. It really is like taking a full school course. To this day, I have to work to remember the skills. Now that I'm on medication that works, as long as I take it, I find I no longer suffer from mood swings as bad and the mania is minimal. The issue I run into 
along with many others who are in the same position, is that every once in a while, I feel like I finally have control. I feel that perhaps maybe now I'm in recovery and I no longer need my medication. So I stop taking it. It isn't long before those closest to me realize something's wrong. And I realize that I do in fact need that medication. And it's the medication that's making me feel like I finally have control. Coming to terms with the fact that I may be on medication for the rest of my life is something that is difficult for me. I like to feel like I'm in control of the situation, but I also realize every time I stop taking my medication, I'm backstepping and I need to, once again, get myself back in control. My biggest struggle to date, and the one thing that I still haven't gotten a handle on, is my relationship with food. I feel this is connected to my BPD and the all-or-nothing aspect of having BPD. I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder this past year, And I feel that this has been something I struggled with for years. Only recently has it become a real problem for me. I'm the heaviest I've ever been, and I have a poor self-image because of it. Due to COVID, regular group therapy classes have been canceled, and a wait list is being created for online classes. I've purchased the reading material that I was recommended, and for now I'll wait and see what I can do next to overcome this challenge. One thing I have noticed during my treatment is that whether it be for anxiety, eating disorder, mood disorder, mindfulness is something that comes up a lot. I think mindfulness is one skill I struggle with, but I also know that if I can master it, I will have better control over everything. Mindfulness is something everyone should apply to their lives, especially since nowadays everything moves so quickly. Mindfulness is a type of meditation in which you focus on being intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without interruption or judgment. Practicing mindfulness involves breathing methods, guided imagery, and other practices to relax the body and mind and help reduce stress. There are three aspects of mindfulness. Intention. Your intention is what you hope to get from practicing mindfulness. Attention. Mindfulness is about paying attention to your inner and outer experience. And attitude. Mindfulness involves paying attention to certain attitudes, such as curiosity, acceptance, and kindness. Some ways that you can practice mindfulness in your everyday life is to stretch first thing in the morning. Doing some stretching and breathing right after you wake up in the morning will energize you and center you for the day ahead. Drink water all day. Drink lots of water during the day, starting with a big glass at breakfast. Your body dehydrates overnight, so refilling the tank early will help you be more present and energetic throughout the day. Chew your food slowly and enjoy the texture and the taste. You'll be more satisfied with less food. Write down your top three priorities for the day before checking your phone. You'll be a lot less likely to get caught up in mindless scrolling. Listen to music. Journal. Write in your journal to capture your reflections on your purpose and how you're continuing to show up for that. you'll create a record of your life that will provide valuable perspective. Ask yourself, what's working right now? No matter how bad things seem, there's almost always something that's going right. Mindfully build on that. Breathe deeply. If you take three deep breaths from your belly before and after every conversation, you'll be more present during the conversation and clear your mind after. Slow down. If you take a moment to stop and smell the roses, you'll have more appreciation for all the beauty and abundance that life has to offer. Practice transformational listening. Listen fully and without an agenda, 
It builds the relationship that makes life sweet. Get outside. No matter what the weather's like, learn to appreciate the now by enjoying the beauty of the outdoors, regardless of your scenery. Tell someone how much you appreciate them. Be specific. It may be the first time anyone has ever shared that compliment with them. What a gift. Notice what time frame your mind is in. If it's in the past or future, gently bring it back to the present. Challenge your assumptions. Expand and challenge the way you look at people and situations. Put your phone in a drawer for at least a couple of hours when you get home each evening. You may be surprised and delighted by what you notice. Take time each day to reflect on why you're here. Celebrate one thing you did today that served that very purpose. Keep your smartphone and tablet out of your bedroom. The light from the mess is up your sleep pattern. You need a good night's rest for your day tomorrow. And last but not least, meditation. If you have a hard time, like myself, concentrating during meditation, start by using a guided meditation. You can find those on YouTube or on Spotify. You'll find the more you meditate, the easier it'll become. I understand that if I can master being mindful, then it would be better for my overall mental health and probably my physical health. Tell me what you try to do to be mindful throughout the day. I'm going to try and practice this skill this week. I hope together we can become masters of this art. Thank you for listening to my story today, and I hope that if you are struggling, you're able to find the help that you need. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, please call 911 or go to the nearest hospital. If you need emotional support, help is available. I'll be posting links on my Instagram and Facebook pages to local resources in Canada and the U.S. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time.